tell them here and let them be. Well, I got something deep inside of me. I can't hide it anymore. It needs to be so free. There's no time to let this tale get old. No, no, no. It's the best. Hello and welcome to the show. My guest is uh, a friend of my wife's, which is a very popular uh, angle on the series, uh, but I'm really happy and excited to have her on. It's uh, please welcome set decorator uh, Charlene Wong Chen. Hi. <laughs> so, uh, so you are part of the mighty Wellesley Network, which is like 35% of the guests on my show. Uh, <laughs> I My question, my first question before you hear a story, which apparently you've never told anyone at all, which is great for me to be able to kind of share that experience with you. Um, I married a Wellesley, uh, you know, I have a Wellesley spouse. I understand the Wellesley woman, as, as, as they come to call Wellesley Wendy, as they say. Uh, how did you go from that university into your uh, current profession as a set decorator for, which if people looked you up on the internet, very established shows and films, like pretty, you know, Hollywood content. So like, how, how'd you get from Wellesley to set decorating? Hmm. That is a long, it's a long route. <laughs> um, my first job at Wellesley was the foreign service. So I joined like the diplomatic corps state department. Um, and I did that for six years, but it was a pretty bad fit in the beginning. Um, and I just really wanted to do something more creative and working as a government bureaucrat is like the definition of not creative work. So, uh, I, Quit that. I mean, I started that when I was really young. It was like my first job out of college. And so I think it's pretty normal for the first job out of college not to be your best fit. It was just kind of like a quote unquote big job. So it felt like, it just felt bigger stay quit it, which is why I think I stayed for so much longer, you know, for like six years. Um, but anyways, I quit that. I started a tea company um, in, I was living in Beijing with my husband at that time. Um, I mean, he's still my husband, but he, we were both living in Beijing at that time. And I started that like 10 years ago. And technically it's still alive, but I got super burned out in running it. I mean, I started it on my own with money I had saved from me as a government worker. <laughs> um, and I, you know, created something, but I got so burnt out. So in the process of, well, in the process of running this business, which I started as a social enterprise, I thought, wait a minute, wait, why do I have a business? <laughs> I wasn't really trying to have a business and I never thought of myself as a business person. 
Um, and during that time, I was like, oh, my favorite thing to do in, in running this tea company is, is design the photo shoot. And that was like my happiest days of work was um, designing and styling the photo shoots and creating booths for like design or for trade shows, like finding and I was like, oh, I guess you could just do instead of running a whole business, I could maybe just do that. And I think one time I was watching a behind the scenes TV show and cause I've always super loved movies and TV. Um, and so I was watching behind the scenes thing and so we're giving a tour of the set and one of the actors was showing the office set and she was like, oh yeah, this, um, this post-it note here, I think must have been put here by one of the set decorators. And I was like, wait, what? That's a job? And that's when I was like, Google like, set decorator. Because <laughs> I didn't ever know that was a job. But when I realized that was a job, like a legit job, I was like, why didn't I, why don't I do this? This is like the, seems like the perfect fit of the skills that I have and what I'm interested in. And that's how it happened, I guess. And then I, we moved to New York um, with the idea that I'd be working on my business still. And I quickly was like, this isn't, I'm not going to be able to make money to live in New York running this business. So I was like, what I'm dreaming about is going to a place, going home, and then they give me money, which is not how it works when you run your own business. Um, so I just started hustling hardcore. I mean, I didn't know anybody. I don't have any contacts, but I did so many cold calls so many cold calls. And then eventually um, a friend of a friend introduced me to some, well, there was like a many false starts, but basically I interned on a movie in the art department and I was like, oh my God, I totally love this work. I feel like I'm good at it. The designer told me that I was really good at it. And then, <laughs> then after the movie wrapped, everyone in the art department quit the industry which is hilarious because then it's like, oh, well, great. I have like no contact now. Um, and I just had to, and, um, and then I found, I mean, I'm sorry, that's way longer than you wanted, but yeah, that's how it happened. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. I, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I could see that, you know, you, you found the, the thing you wanted to pursue and you, you put in that Wellesley uh, spirit and uh, made it happen <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah it's a you you, you applied uh, your your uh you know uh trades uh your tools of the trade i guess from wellesley and then applied it to now your work as a set decorator so that, that's really that's really fun to hear um so with that in mind uh i have no idea what you're about to tell me at all i don't know we didn't debrief about it um and apparently all I know is no one has ever talked about it with you and you've never shared it with anyone. So uh, I'm pretty excited to hear what you might have to say. And give, given your quick bio, it could go all all sorts of places and turn into an unexpected <laughs> destination. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, whenever you want to start sharing. So this is about an internship I had in 2001 when I was 20 years old 
But I feel like before we go into any of that, it's really important to know a lot of the backstory before that, of like how I was raised. Sure. So I was raised in a super conservative Christian community. Like I was raised in Orange County, California, which is known for being a very conservative area of California, the country, the world. Um, and my parents raised us in a very tight-knit Chinese Southern Baptist church community. And that was like our whole life. We went every Sunday, Friday nights, sometimes on Saturdays. My dad went Wednesday nights for deacon meetings. My mom had Tuesday morning prayer. I mean, it was like our whole life. Um, so it was very much part of our world. So I was very, very sheltered and very, um, and very innocent, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I just was like totally, I was like embraced my world. Um, so that's one aspect that you need to think about when I tell you the other parts of this internship. And um, the second part is that like I grew up dancing classical ballet very seriously, which I guess like adds to this like total sheltered conservative girl thing, right? Like I'm like going to church on Sundays and I'm dancing ballet on the, during the week. Um, and so I think it started like a weird relationship with my body. I mean, I think all girls, I mean, technically, I feel like all women in America have a, have an eating disorder. I just think that, like, is true, unless they've been to, like, serious therapy. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I could jump, um, jump in real quick, and yeah, especially with you go, going into ballet, it seems, I mean, that's all about the figure, right? Like, in a way. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you know, it's... Maybe you're just staring at yourself. Yeah. Right, like, even if performance-wise, it's about how you're positioning yourself and so yeah it's very much a body conscious uh craft sorry just wanted to say that yeah totally. and i'm like you practice in these like floor to ceiling mirrors that are like a whole room so you just are like staring at your body in relation to other bodies and why it's not perfect like from the age of seven seven you become so critical of your own body so there's that there's like um you know, like my mom grew up in a British colony, she grew up in Hong Kong. So she, so she definitely has internalized a lot of this like colorism where, you know, like fair skin is good, darker skin is bad. And like, you know, for her and her, like I was always very dark when I was younger. I mean, you can't tell now because I'm like, I've been indoors for four months, but <laughs> like I mean, when I was growing up, I was like, and, and my sister was very fair. And everyone was like, oh, so good. Her skin is fair about my sister. And so I was always like, oh, my skin's like deviant. So there's like that. So I had like all these, is not issues, but I had all this sort of internalized like hate of my body. Hate is a very strong word, but I also think almost American have hate their bodies. Um, and because I grew up in such a conservative like environment, I was also, and, and sex was so like, off limits and so like taboo that was also just like so not it was so divorced from my body right it was like not related to my present it was like this idea that happens in the future you get married and, uh, and before then it's just like not in the realm of possibility so when I was 21 when I was 20 internship I was obviously still a virgin like I, it was not even, like a lot of people I knew were also virgins. Like it was just like, so duh to me. 
that that was my relationship to sexuality. Um, and then the other thing to know, um, so this internship, I should say what it is. It was an internship with a legislator in Hong Kong's Legislative Council, which is something like a congressperson, but not because there's not universal suffrage in Hong Kong. It's a, you know, it's not a representative democracy. Um, but you know, a lawmaker who represented um, her constituency. And she was this totally proper British woman, except who was Chinese also, right? So she was like, and I remember like the partners in her law firm, like her near her office. I remember like, and it was like, they were all like very British people, <laughs> you know? And I remember this like Chinese other partner of hers he was like talking about like the British countryside. And I remember like being in his office and thinking, I don't think I've ever met people who were so like extremely British in such a um, almost caricature way. And it's but also happening to Chinese and in Hong Kong. Right, right. Which I think is really common in like post-colonial places, right? Um, so yeah, so I had an internship with her and it was me and two of her assistants who worked in like a big room together. Like she had her own office and then down the hall, it was the two assistants and me. And the two assistants were these younger women who, I don't know, I guess they were probably in their early thirties. And one, I mean, they're both like very sweet, very nice to me. And um, like one was just kind of awkward in such an endearing way. <laughs> you know? Like, she's just like so awkward and endearing. And then the other one was, you know, more savvy, but also just like very sweet. So they were both like very, there's like this Chinese term like seaman, like very like polite and feminine, like, you know, just very um, agreeable. I guess, you know, like, you know, just, that kind of ideal of Asian femininity, like, you know, and like agreeable and not in any way edgy. <laughs> yeah, we got, yeah, it's got, it's got some of the stereotypes at play right there. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of stereotypes, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to set the scene of this office. <laughs> and also, you know, I had a lot of, I mean, I had a lot of body life. I've been to therapy for a long time for it. But at that time, you know, I was 20 and I was in Hong Kong and I couldn't buy clothes that like fit me. Like I felt so and large and abnormal and like decent. Even though like most people would look at me and be like, I don't know, you're just kind of like average. But in my mind, and but I mean like in, in actuality in Hong Kong, you know, an average American person in Hong Kong is extra, extra large. And then that like makes you feel even more self-conscious about your body because you're like, I can't even buy clothes in a store. Like maybe I am too. There's just all those things. So, and <laughs> one more thing. Um, that was the first summer that I ever had depression. And I, it is something that I've had many times since, but that was the first summer I really, went through that so 
spent a lot of time. So um, this internship was set up through Wellesley and they arranged, they arranged housing for us. They you know, hooked us up with like cool internship opportunity. They gave us a stipend. But like we had housing in the Hong Kong University dorms. So I was living in this room, you know, this little room for the summer. And I spent a lot of time in there. I was depressed. So I didn't have that much energy to like go out and do things. And I, so I spent a lot of time watching West Wing <laughs> and then reading TV forums, which at that time was called Television Without Pity. Now it's uh, something else. But So I would like watch West Wing on Star TV Asia. I would read the recaps on Television Without Pity and I would eat Weetabix with Yakult. And that was like my depressed life outside of the internship. Uh, can, I, can I jump in real quick? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I see your set decorating skills at play here with a very descriptive set of your state of depression. Not to laugh, <laughs> but like it's very good details with the Yakult and the, anyways. And the Weedabix. I mean, when I see a Weedabix, like if I see Weedabix, I'm always like, ah, oh, summer. That's what I always think of when I see, and the West Wing. Yeah. Sorry. And I, and I haven't watched West Wing since. Just because I think it's so, to me, like, so emblematic of that period. I remember I also watched Bridget Jones' diary that summer. <laughs> um, and I remember learning about Pins Cup through that. Anyways, this is totally details that are not related. Um, so that was also when people would, that is the era of, like, AOL chat rooms. <laughs> and AIM, like that's how I kept in touch with friends, right? This was like 2001. Um, so I would chat with, you know, I would like AIM with people. And, and so like there was this little, so there was a, there's a twin size bed and then um, perpendicular to it, there is the desk, which is where I had my laptop. Right? And then there was like a big mirror on top of this desk. So if you were sitting at your desk, typing on the computer, you're like looking into the mirror. So like, I think I, that was the first time I sort of like adventured into like sexy chat rooms. Mm. Okay. And I, and I remember like talking to some people, but like I was so innocent. I didn't understand. I did not understand how like, um, like internet sex or phone sex work. I didn't understand you're supposed to like do things to your body as you were writing things. I thought it was just like purely like, like I totally thought you just like write and you're like co-composing a story together and that was like the exercise. I didn't understand like supposed to like actually physically do things. Um, it's actually really cute how innocent I was. Um, you thought it was like a you thought it was like a like a Mad Libs or like a improv yeah, improv like, exercise. Like I think it like talked to one guy and I was like reading the elaborate story because I'm like this is kind of fun it's like a you know in real time you're doing this like um what is it improvised improvised story creating with, with a stranger so anyways I did that once and I was kind of like oh okay I don't know that's like all right I guess um so I was like sort of starting to explore that a little bit in my mind you know um, and I think one night 
I don't, I don't, I don't know how this like happened. It must have been that it was like changing. I mean, I guess that's the only thing that makes sense. Or maybe someone asked me for, I don't know. No, because people didn't have like phones then. So yeah, it must have been changing. And then it was like, you know, in front of this mirror. And I remember like changing and looking at my body naked and being like, oh, I actually look kind of beautiful. Which is like a really big deal because I told you all the other shit, right? Yeah. Um, and I had my little can digital camera because that is what people used in that era. <laughs> Not have camera phones. I don't think we even had cell phones. We must have. I think it was like a Nokia phone. But anyways, so like I started, I saw, I was like, oh, and then, so I wasn't wearing anything and I was seeing, and it was like a dark room. So there were like these like moody shadows and I was like kind of appreciating my body for the first time, like as a visual sight, like semi-erotically, I guess. And so I was like, I'm going to take some photos. So like I have my little Canon pic, my Canon, Canon camera, and I took like photos of myself, and like not even like erotic, crazy pose. Like it's literally like me staring into the like mirror, just like snapping photos. <laughs> okay, so it's like very straightforward, but well, the lighting and the whatever was good. Um, and actually, Tony, my husband, has seen photos of me, not the naked ones, the other photos of me from that summer and he was like, oh, you look sad in your eyes. Like he could see it. This was, I mean, um, and I was like, oh, this is kind of like a little scandalous thrill secret I have that I had this moment like kind of with my own body that I found beautiful and attractive and almost sexy for the first time. I captured this on those photos and then you like upload it onto your computer. Cause that's what you did then. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't think there was a computer then. Like I think you just like downloaded the photos onto your your laptop and then that was like it. You idea of it? That's kind of like how people did data storage then. Um, okay. um can I can I chime in with the technical mm-hmm. note? I believe you're correct i believe you you had a small digital camera you have a, some kind of disk drive or something or actually they didn't even have that necessarily you maybe plug the camera with a cord into your computer and then transfer photos but that's all it it doesn't really go much further than that sorry i, I think yeah. you're correct i believe that was that's... the situation so i had them i had these photos on my laptop um and then i think i could have i mean that was like a one-off thing that was not you know, thing I started doing every night. That was like it. Then I went back to my life of like West Wing, watching Weedabix, eating, whatever. And then I was working on this report in my internship. It was called Pathways to Justice. <laughs> um, and so I was collaborating with one of the assistants on this. Like we had visited different legal aid centers, I think around Hong Kong and we're interviewing people and like we're putting together this report and this was sort of like the tangible deliverable I had in my internship. I mean, at Wellesley, I studied international relations. Um, so, so this was like exactly what I was studying. Like, it was like so exciting, right? So I'm in this office with these two women at this long table and we're like finalizing the report. So I brought my laptop and then they're both like standing behind me. And I got opened the laptop 
And then, of course, it's just like all the photos, just like on the screen. <laughs> it's just like photo after photo of me just like fully naked. And these two women are just like looking at it and then just like not reacting. And of course I'm like panicking because it's like, this is like the worst case scenario, right? It's like, that's when you're like, your computer's broken. you can't even like minimize it. I'm trying to close it, I don't do anything, but like nothing's working. It's just like there. And I'm like clicking things and it's like getting a little frantic and they're both just like acting like, he just kind of like looked away. <laughs> just, first I remember one of them was kind of looking at the screen and looking again, like, is that you? And then kind of like, oh, and then just like looked away. <laughs> and then I just like finally figured out how to close it. And then I was like, oh, I guess I'm just gonna act like that didn't happen. And then we just like continued on and they never spoke about it again. Like we just all happened. So much that I forgot it happened, <laughs> like totally. Until like literally whenever it is I contacted you, I was like, oh my God, that whole thing, I totally forgot that that happened. Because that, that cold computer, this was like 2001, um, like July, um, that September, so on, on September 11th, this is like before September 11th, right? On September 11th, that whole computer crashed and I lost everything on it. So these photos are now gone to the mist of time. Wow. <laughs> so I totally forgot this happened. Can, can I jump in? Is there like a yeah. code? Okay. Uh, wow. That That's... Uh... We've, we've kind of jumped into the, the erotica uh, portion of, of the podcast. Um, I, I love that. <laughs> I love all the context that you provided because that, that paints like such a great picture. And you're, of course, a set decorator, so it's not surprising. But uh, of just like one, I think the, the, the self, like I guess you could say the self-discovery of yourself um, in your room, but then like you also did ballet growing up and you grew up in a very conservative environment, like how that is like a big deal. And you're also, you know, of a certain age, like you're like a young adult. So you, it kind of, you kind of, you're almost in your head about it too. Like, it's not like you're a little kid, you don't, you don't know what's happening, but so there's that level of it of like you finding yourself uh, or like discovering your body or whatever and then how mortifying it must be to have these proper british hong kong women just like see all your stuff and just be like don't react at all i mean it was great because like i feel like if you were in america people would just give you shit they would just like make fun of you right because it's like i'm hanging fruit but at the same time i guess it's mortifying for everyone <laughs> <laughs> to be confronted with images that are clearly not meant for public consumption. Yeah. Maybe they are. I mean, I don't know. That don't seem like they're made for public consumption. And and I could just tell that, like, one of the assistants, the one who's, like, really endearingly awkward, I remember she kind of, like, she had this kind of thing, like, wait, is that you? It couldn't be you. This is, like, not the person I know. Like, that could not possibly be you. Right? And me just being, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to close, I'm trying to, like, trying to close this, like, figure out how to make these images disappear from my computer at this moment. Uh, I guess, uh, obviously this happened, you know, way back. Um, have you, d d from that moment on, did that, was there a kind of, of a, of a, was there any shift in how you viewed your, um, 
body physically or like you know like how you viewed yourself uh obviously you you know you had like this moment sadly i don't think so i mean i still hated my body many years afterwards <laughs> and i still i'm like you know still struggle with that somewhat even though i have a lot more tools to struggle with and i feel like i've come a long way in my whole relationship to my body but no it's not like and ever since then i just love myself and you know i was beautiful no look no <laughs> that's there wasn't a turning point like that it was kind of like this weird aberration that i guess only could happen when you're like far away from home kind of locked in this like tiny room in like tropical depression <laughs> liminal state and then you like go to this you unlock this door and then you promptly try to forget it ever opened and then yeah yeah i mean there's yeah i mean there's something to be said about uh removing yourself from you, your norm your your day-to-day environment what you're used to right so like you got you know, you're not with your family, you're not in uh, Orange County, you're in a different country, you're basically by yourself, and uh, yeah, then you, yeah, it's, I, I don't know if, I feel like epiphanies like this happen, um, not necessarily yours specifically, mm-hmm. but just the idea that you remove yourself, I guess that's why retreats are popular, in the sense that you remove yourself from your, yeah. We're traveling, right? Why people like to travel. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I was by myself a lot and traveling in unfamiliar places a lot this, like throughout my 20s, but I really didn't ever have a moment like that again or ever feel compelled to be like, damn, I look so, my body looks so beautiful. I'm going to take a photo. Like, that just never happened again. That was like a very specific... situation i mean it's kind of i mean the more i think about it um it's interesting to me because it wasn't like as far as the story you've told it wasn't like you had some sort of um motivational thing you saw or or speaker or whatever that then like led you to like see yourself and be like hey i i proud of my body or whatever like you you know you had the environment that was quite the opposite like more repressive i guess or suppressed like a more you know conservative and then you just have this like kind of i guess it was sparked by aol chatting but you know you know what i mean like 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 maybe you can like like a quick example is like for example i as of this recording right like the last night i watched an, an episode of queer eye right queer eye for the straight guy and uh you know the next day i'm like you know what i'm gonna be positive about myself i'm gonna like you know smile i'm gonna be like think of myself highly and confident like i saw something it inspired me to like feel good about myself right so in your in this story it wasn't like there was anything that was like giving you sort of a momentum or like a leading you into that you just were like already depressed and watching west wing and then like this all random thing happens so yeah 
I mean, it was. It's also many years before the body positive movement, or maybe, you know, maybe the body positive movement was happening in some corner of the internet. But I mean, in two thousand and one, it wasn't like that easy to find on your little AOL browser. You know, it wasn't like that great, honestly. God, if I had like the body positive movement when I was growing up, I think maybe I would have a different relationship with my body. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think that's a great point too. This is pre like the internet actually being a thing so there's no hashtags there's no twitter movements there's nothing to really lift you up you know and to be like yeah i'm just like that person or i can do this like you're actually not having those resources um, which is one of the kind of cool things about social media you know you can have that kind of community support um you know although it is accessible but that's one of the positive things that comes out of it. Um, yeah, like, how did, I guess, yeah, like, I did, yeah, sorry. no, I was gonna say, yeah, you keep, I just wanted you to kind of maybe try to relive this moment and, like, I would say, like, the media I did have, too, that, like, was kind of, you know, I guess what teenage girls maybe get from social media or hashtags or, like, blogs and stuff now. What we did have them was teen magazines. And I, you know, I was, like, an avid reader, like, sassy, 17 magazine. Um, YM, like, you know, the whole thing. And that was kind of where I was getting this sense of community, I guess, and like ideas. But, you know, it's a double-edged sword because those are also the same magazines that replicate these certain standards of beauty and that make you feel bad about your body, you know, and like reinforce all those ideas that have been proven in many academics, you know, to be destructive for teenage girls and their own self-image and, and women, not just teenage girls, like all women, you know, the un the beauty, definitely all those magazines were featuring white women. Then, I mean, there was like, it's just, it was such a different era. It was only 19 years ago, but yeah. No, I mean, yeah. When you put it that way, like it's, it's, it's really not that long ago, <laughs> but it is, it, it isn't, it isn't like, it's really not that long ago that, yeah, that, you know, people can find, uh, people in the in the media or public eye that maybe represent them better um but no it was a certain type of body type and person for sure like 20 years ago 19 years ago um that and, like you didn't have many resources or other avenues um like i remember when i was even dancing ballet you know and if you look at ballet companies now there's always you know quite a not quite a few, but there's a substantial amount of Asian women in the ballet companies. But when I was growing up, there weren't. And I remember, like, I wanted to be a dancer so badly. I was, you know, so serious about everything. Um, and reading this one advice column where I was trying to understand, like, is my skin too dark to be a dancer? You know, and then I remember reading some column where someone had asked a variation of that question. And the woman was kind of like, yeah, you know, everyone needs to blend in the court of ballet, so... And I need to look like the standard, quote unquote, standard dancer. And I was kind of like, oh, hmm, maybe I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, like, I, I mean, that was like literally what I was, what I ingested as a message, which is a crazy to think of. I don't know. Maybe it's not crazy, but. Um, so, but, but that moment you haven't, have you ever replicated that moment in any way? Like you, you you felt that way about yourself since in some other capacity? What we're talking about? The, um, you mean like the photo taking moment? 
Yeah, yeah. Like, have you? <laughs> you should... Well, I mean, I've had sex now, so that's a little different. <laughs> My relationship to sexuality is different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess that would change things up. Sure. <laughs> um. Have, have I had a moment where I look in the mirror and like, damn, I look kind of beautiful. Not, uh, yeah, yeah. not that often. Not enough where I'm like, I better take a photo of this moment, no matter how transgressive these photos might seem. I really don't think so. Um, like, I, I feel like for a long time, very recently, my, like, solution was to just try not to look in yours too much and not, and just try not to, like, have that third eye of looking at yourself and scrutinizing yourself all the time. Yeah. Um, I had, I had one kind of like final question before, you know, you had anything more you wanted to share, please, please do so. Uh, I wanted to get, get into the, the, the Wellesley-ness of your intellect and, uh, your upbringing and, um, like, okay, I, this is not, I don't think this is like a question you could simply answer in a minute or two, but I'm going to ask it anyways. But do you wonder, um, if your relationship to your physical, your body would have been different if somehow your religious upbringing was a little bit looser or lighter or like, you know, like why didn't you rebel? Cause some people would have the upbringing you did and maybe go the different way and just totally yeah. rebel young and just be like, I just can't, this is too conservative for me. I'm going to go 180 and go, you know, whereas you, it seems like you kind of, went along with things and accepted it as your reality. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Just like, I guess what things be different. Um, I mean, I think I had a very happy childhood, so I, I didn't feel like there was a big reason to rebel. You know what I mean? Like I was like, yeah, this is pretty Like, you know, my family, my parents gave us a really great life. I had a very happy, stable childhood. So I was like, yeah, sure. Like, but you know, like, well, there's nothing to rebel against here necessarily. Um, but I did, in my parents' mind, like, totally rebel because when I was 13, I had a boyfriend. And not only did I have a boyfriend, he was a white guy who was not a Christian. And <laughs> they were like really upset about this. Wow, that's a, that's quite a bombshell right there. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, it was like a real, it was like a real crisis for my parents. And like at that time I was like I felt like it was so necessary for me to have this romantic relationship <laughs> you know um because I felt like it was just an important rite of passage or part of being a teenager in America I mean I liked the guy obviously right but like it was like the fact that they couldn't understand how important it was for some a teenage girl to have a boyfriend was more upsetting to me than all the other things. But, but like, still, if you looked at that now, you're like, that is that your rebellion? I mean, what did you, I didn't, I never snuck out of the house. I never, I mean, it was just, I had a boyfriend where we wrote each other notes and like talked on the phone. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I wasn't, it didn't really manifest itself in like truly rebellious behavior. <laughs> white, white boyfriend though. So it's like, you're writing to a white boyfriend controversy yeah. i mean it's the controversy yeah and i remember like you know this boyfriend's 
parents, you know, thinking this is adorable, that, you know, their son is in this relationship with this girl, and they, like, love each other <laughs> and all this stuff, right? And they invited me to go to dinner with them. And I was like, and my mom was like, are you kidding me? We're not doing this. <laughs> you know, in my parents' world, like, we're not allowed to date until we're in college. So, but just the idea that, you know, from another family's point of view, it's like, oh, that's just so adorable. Let's like invite them, all, you know, invite her over and like make her part of our, our life. <laughs> um, I totally so that. I guess that was like my own way of quote unquote rebelling was um, not always following exactly the rules that my parents had laid out for me, but still highly within the parameters of the life they laid out for us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm definitely amused by this tale, uh, and I don't I don't know quite how to react to it. It's it is amusing, and I'm glad that you are are amused by it as well. So to answer your other question, I do totally think that if I had a different, um, if I did if I had a different upbringing, I think I would have had a very different relationship to sex and sexuality in my body for sure. Right? I wouldn't have thought of like my body as a site of potential deviance, you know, and of like sexuality and sex being taboo and something that was like definitely off limits. I, I don't think I would have had those um, like hurdles to overcome if I had a different upbringing. But at the same time, like, I, I guess it was cool to have those kind of barriers around me so that I was when I, you know, I was old enough to deal with that when I was ready to versus when the, I think when there's sometimes uh, everything's possible then sometimes things happen before people are ready I mean I don't know not always lots of things happen but um it did kind of protect me to become more mature and be develop who I am more and before I entered into that realm of my life yeah um so I I think uh, you've you definitely shared something pretty personal, you know. There's some there's some depth to it. Like I, I'm glad that we talked. We spent time talking about the backstory and kind of filled in everything before the moment, because then it makes the moment like more like uh, meaningful. Or like you get like how like this was actually kind of like a big thing at that time for yourself. Um, so how uh, I like to ask this all the time. I think it's fitting here since you've never shared this with uh, anybody. And now possibly people in Sweden might hear this. Um, how how do you feel <laughs> sharing the story? Um, I feel fine. I feel fine. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I just, I sort of like approached like that era of my life like the place that I was in and the context in which I was growing up with like a lot of amusement and curiosity and sort of like almost funny wonder now, like the perspective in which I take all that. Cause like, you know, when it's happening, you're just like, Oh, it's my life. But now I'm like, Oh, it really was pretty unusual. Like all these different, when I, you know, a lot of the friends I talk to now are just like, wait, what? And then you, know, you don't realize the parts of your life that are maybe more unusual because you're just living it. That's a, that's kind of a nice way to put it. Yeah, like when when you sit down and you get you think about things, and there actually are could be something unique that happened to you that you just thought you were just living. 
it wasn't a big deal at the time. And it's like, oh, it's like not, I mean, it's actually not normal to have a stable, generally cheerful child. <laughs> like it's not, right? Like that in itself is not normal. <laughs> uh I get, I get, mine was okay. I, I get you because like I, I, I had like a positive kind of environment to grow up in. So I, I get, I get that like, you know, I, I, I identify with certain elements of your story for sure. Yeah. Most people, I mean, most people that I knew, I feel like they had something similar, but then you go out into this world and you read all these books and you're like, oh, everyone has like such contentious, like, you know, anxious. They were grappling with a lot more and struggling with a lot more most people well yeah i guess uh, different people have their things at different times in their life um yeah but uh well thank you uh for being on the show thanks for dipping into uh you know uh, a, a more adult topic i guess you could say Ooh, is this gonna get a rating <laughs> yeah uh sure why not uh so everyone, thanks uh, to Charlene for uh, being on the show, and uh, we'll talk soon. Bye. Hey, if you'd like to know when our next new episode comes in, it's easy. You can subscribe for best story I never told. That's right on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher.